We're coming in two. We're coming in two. That's fine on two. That's fine on two. Oh, we have Moscow, Copenhagen, Malaysia, Africa. Where's Michael Jackson? Where's Michael Jackson? Where's Michael Jackson? 85. It's This year when I'm glowy, am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain. Oh, it's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Welcome to Bowie vs. Dylan, the podcast that is the first ever wildly influential and popular international stream of podcasts all throughout the entire world. The year is 1985, Chaz. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And today we're looking at a very meaty, meaty bula base of 1985. <laughs> it is just... Everything happened in 1985, it's packed. Chaz. It's packed. It all happened. Like everything, we made Live Aid. That's the only thing that happened. Yeah, not for me, though. I mean, but not, Live not Aid for Bob. But Live Aid was everything. Uh, I was three, no, I was four, and you were two for most of the year it's in true. 1985. We both uh, moved up late in the year, yes. And After yet, Live Aid. And yet it seems that uh, Live Aid could have been beamed directly into our brains. That's how it, that's how it sounds Maybe to me. Maybe it was. Oh. Whoa. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Bob watched Live Aid. I wonder too. We should ask her. We should ask her. Yeah, we should talk to our mom sometimes. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's usually something. I don't know. I, there's I don't kind know. Of people they liked though involved. Though, Do we? Like that. <laughs> there's, t- there's tons of people. Tons of their favorites were involved in this. Yeah. So I don't know if mom and dad watched Live Aid. I think I think it just was a very big deal. Like it was every, a big deal? everyone, everyone knew about it, and you might you had yeah. a chance to watch it because uh, you'll you'll give like, us you'll give us some stats. Some you give us some stats. Did I write that down? What I remember looking at how many people. Oh, can I tell? Can I tell? It was available. Yeah. To, it was available. Now who knows if they watched? Oh, it. I did write. I did write it down. Okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, keep that. You're not going to let right. me say it. Well, uh, when I get to it, you can say it. All right, fine. All right. Fair. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an all Live Aid wall-to-wall extravaganza. And yeah. by all, I mean, we've been talking about Live Aid for a while, but apparently Jay did something else to say. I don't really. So I do. It's be all Live Aid for me. This guy. So you might ask yourself, Live Aid, I kind of heard about that maybe one time. <laughs> I watched that Queen movie recently, and they seem to be talking about Live Aid. They sure did. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that I know it was in there because, you know. It was. Uh, so what was it, Charlie? And I say to you, this is what it was, Jake. It okay. was a gigantic musical explosive extravaganza on Saturday, the 13th of July, 1985. That year. 1985. Sex lies. Once again, that song is 1984, but it doesn't sound right when I say 1984 anymore for some reason. That's because anyway, Big Brother has It was a gigantic dual event taking place simultaneously for much of it in Philadelphia and in London. Yes. The UK show was 10 hours long. Whew. The US show was 14 hours long. Yes. USA. USA, USA totally USA, comes out on USA, top. USA. 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 Uh, and it was meant to raise funds for the Ethiopian famine. Yes, which it did. So it's kind of like an important 
point in history, it seems to me, like I was reading a little bit about this, because it all of a sudden like rock stars like being like, hey, maybe we should do more than just uh, bang groupies and mess up hotel rooms. That's not- maybe we should use our influence to uh, try to save people who are dying of famines. Let's band together, guys. That's right. what I said. So it ended up being this gigantic thing. Uh, a huge number of people watch it, Jake. Here, this is the part where you tell oh, me this how is many people watch it. Okay, so it was available to 1.9 billion people around the world. It wasn't just available. That's how many people watched oh, it. Oh, that's how many people watch it? It was 40%, 40 per- 40% yeah. of the world's population. I said it first. 40% of the world's population watched this bad That's boy. crazy. Nothing would assume, get that. I gotta assume that our parents were part of that 40%. Because hey. tons of people they like. They watch at least part of it. I gotta I got assume. I would imagine. I would imagine. Alright. It included such people I've heard of as... I skipped <laughs> the ones I haven't heard of. Okay. Uh, in London, we had Adam Ant, yeah. Ultravox, yeah. Spando Ballet, mm. Elvis Costello, mm-hmm. Sade, Sting, and Phil Collins playing together. Yep. Brian Ferry <laughs> with David Gilmore. You two... Dire Straits, Queen, The Who, Oof. Elton John, mm-hmm. and Paul McCartney. Can I can I give you a pronunciation so, tip? Yeah. It's Sade. It's not Said. I got yelled at really? a few years ago about that. Yeah. Go ahead and put that in Thank your memory you. banks. It's Sade. Thank you. Sade? Sade. 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 Okay. Sade. Thanks. Thanks. You got I it. always assumed that it had to be something different than Said, but I didn't know what it was. Well, now so you know. Jake. You got it, man. It's the first thing you ever did for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> And it will uh, it will be the last. A total of seventy one songs, and of course, ended that bad boy with "Do They Know It's Christmas?" Do they? But do they? It was in July. It was. <laughs> so I don't think they did know it was Christmas because it was July. Here's the answer. But no, I they didn't. How do you know? In this London gigantic performance, uh, David Bowie also performed, oh. and he was the guy that started. He was the first person singing on "Do They Know It's Christmas?" Oh yeah. So, yeah, but, but he was, uh, you know, he was missing from the actual recording I read. He's yeah, not, I don't think he's not, he he's not on there. He, he, he had yeah. some, he had some conflict, but then during the performance he gives like a, he gives like the introduction or something, right? To do the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause he couldn't, okay. Yeah. I fell yeah, down you know, a live in Philadelphia, the they had such people I've heard of as. Yeah. Joan Baez. Never heard the of The Four him. Tops. Black Sabbath. The Run DMC. Also, can we just say those four bands in a row? Those four new players in a row again. <laughs> Wonderful. Bias, the Four Tops, Black Sabbath, and Run DMC. Followed by Rick Springfield, Ariel Speedwagon, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh yeah. Priest, Brian Adams, The Beach Boys, George, they're all good. Simple Minds, The Pretenders, Santana, mm. Madonna, Tom mm. Petty and the Heartbreakers, mm. The Cars, Neil Young, The Thompson Twins, Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, Led Zeppelin. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young this time. <laughs> Duran Duran, Patti LaBelle, Hall Mick Jagger and friends, including Tina Turner. And finishing the whole night up is Ron Wood and Keith Richards with some nobody <laughs> by the name of Bob Dylan. Yes. Oh, they man. That list is so much better than the London list. Yeah, that list Can is we just dope. That? that list is amazing. USA. 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 Anyway, over there they played 112 songs and yeah. ended it with We Are The World. We Are The World. Um, more about We Are The World in a bit. Um, I also want to say I also want to say that three of those bands that you mentioned on the American side were straight up like reunions that people never thought would happen again. Those oh, are that's true. Crosby, it's true. Stills, Nash, and Young were hated each other 
throughout the seventies. Um, still hate each other, probably. Um, Led Zeppelin came back. They had not played together since John yeah, yeah, Bonham yeah. died. But yeah, do you know? One. Did you see who was on drums for the new Led Zeppelin? Uh, I'm forgetting. I did see it. I'm forgetting. It was Phil There's Collins, my friend. Phil Collins well, can we played talk drums. About Phil Collins for a second, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Keen listeners amongst you out there will have noticed that Phil Collins played at both shows. He did. Yep. And he did. Yeah. He, he played did. in London fairly early in the show with Sting. Yeah. And then he flew across the like took an international flight across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, why not? And went and played at the Philadelphia show, which of course was still in progress. And then he was fourteen hours long. He filled in for John Bonham with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> so the real start, whatever the points say, Jake, the real winner of nineteen eighty five is Phil Collins. Oh, no doubt about it, Phil. <laughs> Phil, take Phil. a take a bow. Phil. 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 Hey, Phil. Hey, Phil. 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 Hey, Phil. Phil. We love you, Phil. Phil. Come right. on, come on over. So, Jake. Oh, and Black Sabbath. Al- Black Sabbath What's also it? reunited with Ozzy Osbourne. Reunited with Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, they hadn't Excellent. played together since right, right after the Four Tops and before Run DMC. <laughs> these are roughly these are roughly in their performance order. That is Although, unbelievable. Although know, I skipped a lot of the early ones because I didn't know who they were. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, it sounds like you so would have heard not, of more they of might the. Been, they might have been immediately after the Four Tops and immediately before Run DMC, but. The five tops. This is where they went, and they just were others sprinkled in that I didn't the hear about. The six ago. tops. Well, I didn't know about. The seven tops. The seven tops. <laughs> the two and a half tops. All the tops are here. <laughs> At Live Aid. <laughs> so, Jake, yeah. I'm going to hand things over to you a little bit. Tell us more All right. eloquently about Bob Dylan's phrase into Live Aid. Okay. At the Philadelphia station. Also, it's notable because, of course, we've talked about this many times. Is how close Bowie and Dylan have come to working together. At yeah, they were almost this is one of those in this. occasions again when they, ne- they never performed on stage together, to our knowledge. No, but I don't think they did. Close, they were at the same event; they just were on different stages. Right, and they were, the both, stage. they were both. They were both. They were both featured. They were both kind of headliners of the event. Oh yeah, yeah Bill uh, was very last. Bowie was one of the last. He yeah. got beaten out by the Who, Elton John, and Paul McCartney were afterwards. Although he did perform with Paul McCartney. So yeah, there you go. There's that. And More you couldn't. I mean, Bowie was just gigantic. They were kind of. You know, ambassadors on each side of the pond. You know, it's Bowie true. over yeah. there, in 80, and then in '85, you know, Bowie had come off the Let's Dance, and, the, and then tonight we're showing that a lot of people. Who cares? But, you know, <laughs> he was just giant. Just giant. Just shut up about tonight. Nobody cares about it. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Chaz. So, that's, what, that's what we do in 1984, anyways. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many people even know this single, Jake. We keep singing, but it wasn't that big of a hit. It wasn't, but we've seen the video 20 times probably <laughs> in our childhood. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to the show, go watch the uh, hey. music video for the hey Rhythmics. It's the Rhythmics. It's yeah. the group here. Yeah, and it was for, for the movie. Is it? It's like it's 1984 in parentheses, sex crime. Sex crime! Sex crime! By the way, they asked Bowie to do that, and he said no. Yeah, we already discussed that. Hey, we're really we're getting off track here, Chaz. Hey, all right, all right. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! You know what? The good folks at Live Aid had to really keep things moving along, and we're not doing that at all. Or they wouldn't have got it done in fourteen hours. No, only fourteen hours. Gosh, fourteen hours. Okay. Um, so Dylan was at the very end of that 14 hours. He was the last scheduled performer before like 500 people came out on stage and performed "We Are the World." That was the we show's. The world. That was the show's closing. 
Um, and Chaz, I'd like to say nice things about Bob Dylan and his involvement with Live Aid, but it was an un- it was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> oh, it was an yeah. absolute it was an absolute crap show, and I'll tell you why. So Bob, when he heard from Bob Geldof um, that he would you know that he would be an important part of this this Live Aid performance, um, called his friend Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones, and yeah. Ronnie Wood called his friend, probably frenemy, Keith Richards. Also of the Rolling Stones. And they were like, and Bob was like, hey guys, what about it? Let's go play at Live Aid. And they were like, sure, Bob, we'll do that. We'll even do it for free because we love Africa. I think everyone did it for free. They did. It was a. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, the Rolling Stones were famously famously, uh, commercialized by that point. So maybe maybe they thought they were getting paid and they just weren't. I don't know. They're not very good at, you know, uh, their pay stuff. So, there was just nothing. They got the check. They're like, oh, no, we didn't get paid for Live Aid. It was $1, $1 per band member. Yeah. Um, so Ron Wood and Keith Richards hold up with Bob Dylan for days, and apparently they sounded fantastic in rehearsals. And then get this, Chaz. The night of the performance, Bob got sweaty and nervous that it wasn't what Bob Geldof would have wanted him to do. So he changed everything literally minutes before they wandered on stage. <laughs> He was like, "Hey, let's oh, let's play some different songs. Let's play them in different keys, in different uh, tempos. Like it was totally different. They rehearsed one thing, and a minute before they went on, they did something totally different. Which I don't, nice. I don't think nice. you're supposed to do that. That's just <laughs> not traditionally. But okay, um, you're Bob Dylan, and you're headlining." Live Aid. Two, two, two billion people are watching you. <laughs> you know, you might as well suck it hard, I guess. You might as well completely <laughs> sabotage yourself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Jack, Nis- Jack Nicholson introduced him. He did this, like, kind of 30-second long, you know, very eloquent introduction. Bob comes out with Ron Wood and Keith Richards. They set up with acoustic guitars. And there, it turns out there's no stage monitors, so they can't hear themselves at all. That was <laughs> that was it. So Bob's like, I can't hear anything. They're trying to play their guitars. The people in the audience can hear them not hearing themselves, though, which is kind of awkward. Oh, man. Also, there was a 30-person choir directly behind them, behind a curtain, rehearsing for We Are the World. And the, the Bob and Ron and Keith could hear them quite well, but the audience couldn't hear them. So they were trying to play <laughs> without stage monitors while they could hear these people rehearsing We Are the World, like, passionately right behind them. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> right? So this is going well, right, so far? This is going well? So well. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is a quote from Bob Dylan's biography. It said, um, this is great. You're going to like this. I'm going to try to get through it without laughing. All right. So, um, Bob is struggling and they've played a couple songs and this, and this is what, and this is what Keith Richards was doing. Quote, Keith Richards seemed to be on some other planet that was not as of yet receiving the global broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Great line. To be fair, that's kind of how he normally is. Yeah. And so he didn't, he was completely out of it on whatever it is that he was on. Ron Wood lost a couple strings on his guitar during Blowing in the Wind, and he like leaves the stage and brings back another guitar, but that's not working, so he leaves the stage again, and he comes back and he air guitars for a while <laughs> to an acoustic rendition of Blowing in the Wind. 
And then he finally gets a guitar, and he's, like, hamming it up on one side. Keith Ridges is literally shooting heroin on the other side. And Bob Dylan can't hear himself and sounds terrible trying to sing, like, these songs. <laughs> and uh, here's, what, here's what Ron Wood said of the entire thing. Quote, we came off looking like real idiots. End quote. Which, which they did. Here's our silver lining corner, Chaz, because... This yeah. was like one of Bob Dylan's famous, like, fall on, flat on your face moments. Uh-huh. Um, about halfway through this performance, Bob Dylan accidentally um, creates Farm Aid <laughs> by saying <laughs> this. By Come saying on, this. And this, this, was, this, was, this was apropos of nothing. He said this without any provocation whatsoever in the middle of his performance for Live Aid. Wouldn't it be great if we did something for our own farmers right here in America? End quote. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fold in one more thing that Bob Dylan did in 85 um, before I Which shoot. Which a whole bunch of people were mad about him saying. But yes, uh, absolutely. It's it had, kind of a jerky thing to say in the middle of a charity fundraiser. Hey, why don't we get some of this money hey, to a different charity? Hey, guys, why don't we not help Africa and help ourselves instead? <laughs> hey, guys. Idea. Hey, fellas. Hey, fellas. <laughs> hey Bob. Geldof. Let me, uh, let me give you some advice. Just off the top of the dome here, you know. Just <laughs> hey, we're just, out here, I'm, just uh, I'm just spitballing, but, you know, screw you guys. What this whole thing we just did, we did for some other reason than the reason we just did it for? You know, here's a little, here's a little nationalistic jingoism for you, right here. <laughs> I'm going to insert that. <laughs> anyway, Willie Nelson thought that was a good idea. So he, he later, in 1985, and actually September, created Farm Aid. Uh, Tom and Bob Dylan played at Farm Aid with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Willie Nelson, and apparently no one was on Smack or anything. And uh, they did a, I know, weird, right? Was Keith Richards even invited? No, well, not in America he wasn't. <laughs> Get out of here, Keith. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I guess the Bob was absolutely fantastic during that. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to do a whole thing on Farm Aid because Farm Aid keeps going, so maybe I'll get a chance to talk about it later, uh, you know, in this, in this podcast series. But, um, so that was, that was Bob Dylan Live Aid, kind of a thing. Well, hey, good one. Well, back over to London. Yeah, do it. uh, Bowie had a very different performance than uh, Dylan. Okay. Bowie played four songs Mm. and he just tore it up. He was awesome. He was rad. He was like a really impassioned, really exciting, really wonderful performance. Now, what I didn't hear much about was he came on immediately after Queen. Okay. Have, like, oh, this, he like, did. It's supposed to be like their best performance ever. You know, like it's, just, it's it's such a famous, iconic performance from Queen. It is. But I'm not sure how. I, I I'm not sure he could have lived up to it. I don't know if that like energized him to go because he was really like fired up in a major, awesome way. Okay. But uh, I'm not sure he could you know properly follow up Queen. So I read some, at least one person suggested that Bowie was, like, the second best on the London stage after Queen. So, good okay. for that one out. All right, what do you uh, Jake, I know you have a burning question in your heart, and I'm ready to answer it. Yeah. Yes, he played Heroes. He played Heroes, okay? <laughs> I was wondering. Heroes. I was... You're, I mean, if it's charity something, and he's there, yeah. we know he's playing Heroes. If, if it's a world this event. Is probably one of the first, this is probably one of the first times he played Heroes at a charity event. It could be the very first time for oh. that matter. Well, hey, that's something. Heroes, Heroes took a while to become an anthem. It wasn't an instant anthem. It wasn't like a big hit when it came out. In 77, it took a little while. Yeah. Uh, Bowie also performs with uh, Paul McCartney and a few other people on Let It Be. He does some backup vocals on that. Nice. And Good yes, one. he is in. He performs Do They Know It's Christmas, and Bowie is the one who starts it <laughs> yeah. out. So. Yeah. And once again, they don't know it's Christmas because it was July. It wasn't Christmas. Well, actually, actually, they 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 know that no. it's they know that it's not Christmas. Which I that's not they the name of the song. Christmas. Right? Do they know it's not Christmas? Yeah, the answer yeah. is yes. I don't know. I don't know. 
Now, more notably in all of this great Live Aid jamboree, is that uh, there were some scrapped plans that were pretty intriguing. I mean, they were doing some wild stuff. Band having all these giant people perform. And, like, the telecast was going back and forth between the two different performances. I don't know how that all worked. I don't either. Because the London one started, you know, a couple hours before the New York one because of the time difference. Not New York, the Philadelphia one. Yeah. The time difference and everything. And then the Philadelphia one was significantly longer, so it went significantly later than this. I don't know how that worked. Anyway, one of the big things that was originally planned that was scrapped was that Bowie in London and Mick Jagger in Philadelphia mm-hmm. were originally going to perform a duet simultaneously from the two different locations. This was a big plan. They were really working on um, it. didn't work out cause, because of the, the communications difference. There was a lag. There was like a five-second lag between the two of them. Right. So there was no way for them to both be performing live. If they did it, one of them would have had to have like been pre-recorded and had to mime along with what was going on. So it was impossible. So they ended up canceling it. So they talked about this because they were, you know, sad about this. They wanted to do this big event, which would have been pretty awesome if they could have made it work. So instead, they decided to, I don't know, record a song and make a music video, Jake. <laughs> yeah, what was that, Chaz? What was that song and video? June 1985. Mm. The date is not written down in any source that I found. Bowie <laughs> is in the studio in New York, rehearsing. They've had a day of uh, recording for what would become the songs for his his contributions to the Absolute Beginners soundtrack. Okay. The band right. has agreed to stay after a normal day of work. Mm. And so they begin rehearsing it at 7 o'clock at night for a new song. A song that isn't new at all, but is rather a cover of the song, Dancing in the Street. <laughs> Ever heard of it, guys? Dancing the band starts rehearsing at 7 o'clock, and apparently it sounds sluggish and bad. Oh, too bad. Mick Jagger shows straight from the airport at 8 o'clock. Lands in the studio and immediately tries to immediately starts upstaging Bowie in every way. <laughs> they were really Jagger like Jagger was really made uncomfortable by Bowie at times. The two of them really fought each other. At this point, yeah, Bowie was clearly leading everything. Yeah, and uh, Jagger was yeah. anyway. So he's Incensed. like peacocking around the uh, the uh, studio is <laughs> doing his does. chicken dance. Just, just trying to one up Bowie in every way. Sticking his lip they out the everywhere. Vocals and the two of them do their vocals in one take. No way. The first take? The entire song <laughs> was recorded and mixed in four hours. Wow. And that's including that that rehearsal time before Jagger gets there. <laughs> I believe. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it was after that. They were rehearsing. So, they have recorded the entire song and mixed it in four hours. Wow. And they're like, well, what do we do next? I know, let's go make the video right now. <laughs> so, the video was shot immediately afterwards. <laughs> they go out to the docks, they shoot the video with, uh, <laughs> oh, who was the director of that video? I think it was Dave Mallet again, who was, did lots of great videos for Bowie, and also this one. Okay. <laughs> the entire beginning, the entire process, In addition. from the beginning of rehearsals to the end of shooting the video was about 12 hours. Oh, the entire goodness. thing. That's crazy, man. Um, there were some minor overdubs later at uh, Jagger's demand, but otherwise, the entire song was done twelve hours. That's there crazy. I don't. I don't even know what so, to say. Way to go! I know it's crazy. Way to go, guys! I mean, it, you would think that a song that put together in this manner would sound, you know, dashed off and half baked and horrible. And it does. And <laughs> you would be right. Yes. You'd be one hundred percent correct. Ba, ba, if you ba, ba, that. Ba, um. So, his little history of Dancing in the Street here, Jake, it was originally written by Marvin Gaye, 
Williams, yes. Nikki Stevenson, and Ivy Joe Hunter. I knew that. And the original performance was by Marva and the Vandellias. Yeah. Vandellas. Vandellas. In 1964. Um, it's also performed to some level of success by the Mamas and the Papas. No, oh, sure. Van Halen. Yeah. The Kinks. Yeah. The Everly Brothers. And The Grateful Dead. <laughs> the Grateful Dead. And I listen to at least part of all these songs. And yeah. I say part because I listen to all of his, all of all of his songs except for the Grateful Dead wide version, which was like twenty two minutes long. <laughs> all Grateful Dead songs are twenty two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> no, but their their studio version is like three minutes. And yeah, yeah. Seconds. Packing a punch. But their live version is, you know. So which one is the best besides the original? Because the original is very, very great. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> you don't even know man. Know. I don't know. Fine. Be that way. They were all very well. The Van Halen version was pretty bad. Yeah. And the Grateful Dead version was quite bad. <laughs> Great. Kind of like the Mom and the Papa's version. It was okay, and the Kings version was all right. Actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I listened to the Everly Brothers version. I yeah, that's it. okay. Anyway, uh, you didn't. Need let's that. let's take a look at some uh, reviews of this song, Jake. All right. Of the of the Bowie and Jagger version. I was hoping we would. For Live Aid, which, by the way, the video was was uh, played. It was played twice. Uh, I don't remember. I don't during know live, during it live, ended up, being, it ended up being twice in live aid because uh, at one point some got delay happened because of some error or something. Okay. So they just threw the video up there again for a second time. So here's a here's a review from Ultimate Classic Rock. <clears throat> the song pulls off the admittedly rather extraordinary feat of managing to sound both haphazardly tossed off and calculatedly overproduced. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, pushing Ahead of the Dame, which is a great uh, Bowie, the little shout out to Pushing Ahead of the Dame, which is a great Bowie blood. Oh. Dancing in the Street is a rotten record for which everyone involved should be embarrassed. Oh, wow. Well, that's just putting it straight, isn't it? <laughs> There's nothing especially cheap <laughs> and grotesque in Bowie and Jagger's pantomime reduction of dancing. It's just a charity <laughs> show, yes. It's just a laugh, yes. It's just for fun, yes. But it's also two sad men selling off their youth at cut rates. Wow. That's rough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> also true. True. Also true. Hey, I haven't heard anything that I disagree with yet. I'll tell you that much. Notably, <laughs> for those who have somehow not seen the video, it's the most entertaining three minutes they'll spend all day. Oh, it's uh, it's delightful. It's it's cringe. It's cringeworthy. It's so awkward. Dancing around in the most in the worst outfits in the most obnoxious fashion on the docks. On the in docks. New York. Yeah, and like trying and like, to, you can tell that they're just trying to outdo each other. Oh but yeah, they're especially, so... especially Jagger again. A Jagger is trying so much harder than Bowie. Bowie's like trying to be cool, but can't do it in in this context whatsoever. No, Jagger's just trying to like one up Bowie at all times. Right. It's like if they're he wearing could... the worst outfits, they look like they're they're gonna kiss a couple times. Yeah, it's they're twirling around each other. They're twirling around each other. It's all obviously made up. I think. Anyway, if... um, I think if Jagger thought, like, every time that Bowie starts singing, if he could just stick his butt right in his face and, like, shake it or something, like, that would be, that'd be this great. the video ends, by the way, is the two of them shaking their butts. Yeah, they're shaking. Literally, shake, just they, their butts shaking. They shake their butts, Bowie's all right. Bowie's wearing a trench coat, and he flips up the back, and the two of them just shake their butts. That's all that happens. That's the very end of the video. Just shaking their little butts is all, you know? Another review of sorts. Uh, family Guy. Uh-huh. The... The MTV show is famous for their cuts, their cutscenes, you know, to all kinds of whatever weird, you know, they make some joke and then leave. they're also famous for taking their jokes to long extremes. That's right. And like a friend of mine who talked to us, you know, like, but the family guy, it starts out and there's something funny and it keeps going and going and going and stops being funny. And then it goes long enough that it starts being funny again. Yes. Like they're, they're famous for these really long things like this. Like when I check um, my notes. An episode. What's that? Like when you check Like notes. when I check my notes. 
there's an episode of Family Guy in which uh, Peter is teaching the kids about what he considers to be important history. He's homeschooling them for some elaborate reason. Sure. And uh, at one point, he's showing them a music video from the 80s, and it's this music video. And they show the entire video. All of it. Mm-hmm. All, you know, mm-hmm. three minutes of it or whatever. Followed by the line from Peter, that happened, and we let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hey, you know, uh, any excuse. Shout out to another version of this video, which I believe you have watched, Jake. It's the no music version. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Of this video. Do that instead of... Takes, takes the actual video... And then dubs over the song with like these like what sounds they might be making while doing it. Oh, it's so funny! So it's them like they're not actually singing. It's it's them like making these you know like kind of half-hearted singing as you probably would do while miming to a music video, like miming to the song playing. And it's like you can hear their shoes squeaking and stuff, and like and like little noises they're making while they're dancing. Like <laughs> oh yeah, you can hear like the crickets chirping the background. It's just. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's oh my gosh. So there's two different versions. There's, there's two different versions by different people. One of them's like a minute long, the other one's the entire video. Oh, you got do the entire video. Just do it. Just no, do it. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Block off, you know, a few minutes of your day and treat yourself to this. Yeah. Just go somewhere by yourself. You don't want other people to see you. So, Jake, yeah. this was a garbage fire of an album, of a, of a record. It's yeah. one of the worst. The song is mediocre. The song's fine. And the, and the music video is just horrendous the song's not bad. Uh, it's one of the yeah, one of the worst things Bowie's ever been involved in um it made number one in the UK for four <laughs> weeks four, four weeks, weeks? Uh-huh. really yes was everyone like that's kind of like it um, only made number seven in the US but still it well, was still a top ten hit in the United States in 1985 which is in something. it made the top ten in at least 16 different countries that is crazy and it is the most successful version of the song commercially by a wide margin. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And in 2011, it was voted the eighth best collaboration of all time in a Rolling Stones reader's poll. <laughs> so this is the thing, like, Jake, it's so much of this trash that, that Bowie's done. Yeah. People look back and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's embarrassing. But he's got a couple of things that no one ever, you just, it's so rare to hear anything bad about. One of them is Labyrinth. Yep. Which is not as good as everyone thinks it is. Yep, you've explained this that to us. This is a gigantic Bowie fan. Yeah, we did, you know, go back and listen to the 1986 episode, everybody. Go for it, guys. The other one is Dancing in the Street, which I I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, don't know. I think it's got to be one of the, you know, this is the 80s we're talking about. And oh, yeah. so, you know, we look back ironically and sort of fondly on that on that time period. But that that seems like that's an example of something that was ironically appreciated at the moment like at the time i don't think it was ironic you don't though. Think i don't so? know like the people this is this jake this, this is the roadhouse of music videos that's what i'm saying it's a movie that's so bad but it's like because there's movies you know that are good and then movies that are bad and then there's movies that are so bad that they're good again yeah and then there's movies that are so bad that they go past good but they're just bad. bad yeah and like roadhouse you know starring patrick swayze is one of those movies that's so wildly entertaining front to end for all the wrong reasons, accidentally, because it's so bad. And I would propose that Dancing in the Street is the exact, like, that's the epitome of music videos. So bad it's good music videos. Yeah. Because it's so wildly entertaining for all the wrong reasons. I can't argue with you. I don't watch a lot of music videos, but it's hard to argue. I don't watch a ton. I watch enough to not see anything else. As, <laughs> You've seen as some music videos. perfectly sublime as this one, for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it is. So perfectly sublime like that. It is very cringe, cringe-worthy, but you can't, yes. you can't look away. It's like... Yeah. 
and it's not too long, you know. You, you can't. It's not. You can't say oh, that no, you're wasting your time. I mean, if, if this was like an eight minute video or something, you'd never make it. No, you'd never. But it's like make three it. minutes, and it's just mmm, mm, tasty. Mm, <laughs> so mm, tasty. Mm. <laughs> so before I hand things over to you, Jake, I yeah. have a proposal for all of our listeners. All right. And that is that I would like to raise some money for charity. So here's mm. my proposal. Okay, live if air. our fans out there can pledge ten thousand dollars, Jake and I will recreate shot for shot <laughs> We will do that. You know what? I'll do that for a dollar. You guys send if us a dollar. If we get dollar. it up to fifteen thousand dollars, we will also recreate the Bowie Bing Crosby uh, collaboration as well. I'm gonna do Double that. Video. I'm gonna do shot, that anyway. Shot <laughs> Guys, here's the thing. $10,000 would be great, but if you send us a dollar, we'll do it anyway. Okay? <laughs> I'm not doing it for a dollar. Uh, we at least have to not, have to enough to, uh, to pay for a plane to get one of us to the other room. I guess, we, I guess we do have... I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we do have to be in the same room. That's true. Uh, didn't think of that. We can't properly recreate the Dancing in the Streets music video if we are not actually together in the same street dancing. That's true. We can't even be dancing in the streets if we're not dancing in the streets. That's what I'm... Right. It's dancing in the streets. Dancing, dancing in the, the streets. Street. In oh. two different streets Ooh. that so are not you're, anywhere near each other. You're obviously going to be Bowie. I have to be Mick Jagger in this situation. Oh, yeah. See, now... I don't so like... We have the $10,000. So that's also going to pay for our costumes. I'm going to wear a leopard print <laughs> uh, jumpsuit with a trench coat over it for some reason. Yeah. Good call. You're going to wear a bright teal shirt yeah. tucked in yep. to, uh, I don't remember colors pants that are black or dark blue or something, and with, like, bright white kits. I'm going <laughs> to... Well, good thing I already own a pair of those kits. So I wear those all the time. High tops. Kid high tops. <laughs> it's like he walked off the set of, like, a British Miami Vice or something. He's like, this will look cool, right, David? He wishes he looked that good. <laughs> How are my lips, David? Why don't you kiss them? <laughs> For $20,000, we will grow out our hair to the appropriate length for each, each person. I'm a better kisser than you, David, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anyone. Oh, yeah, well, my butt is better. Here it is. <laughs> oh, here's my hiney. Here it is right now. Here's my butt. Look at it. <laughs> here's my bottom. <laughs> See, I told you we'd do it anyway. And with that, Jake, we are closing up our oh live gosh. It took up half the episode. <laughs> Luckily, I almost have oh, nothing no. else to talk about with Bowie when we get back to me. I have very little to talk about, oh, my so gosh. it won't take you long. But it's been a, quite a ride. It has been a, a ride. episode about live it. I feel like we've just performed for 2 billion people. For 14 sure. hours. For 14 hours in a row. I can only assume that we've made millions and millions of dollars for to help alleviate the Ethiopian famine. Yeah. Oh, we did. No doubt about it. We did. We did that. <laughs> we did Good. that. Hey. I would like. I would like to at least uh, at least done something like that. Hey, Africa. Checks in the mail. We promise. <laughs> that was bad. Oh. Sorry. 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 Hey, how about how about I I, I open up my. Uh, my portion here with a little bit of a multiple choice question that I think you're going to get the answer to. Chaz, the question is, what are we? The sky? The sun? <laughs> the champions? The children? Or the world? What are we, Chaz? We are the... I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the queen played We Are the Champions at Live Aid. They did. I'm going to go with We Are the World. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're right. We are the world. Um, at least us here in America, because... 
uh, Quincy Jones and Harry Belafonte saw the success of the of the Band Aid uh, special Christmas thing, which you have been talking about already. Uh, do they know it's Christmas? And they thought, yeah, oh yeah. those silly Brits, they'll never be as good as us. So here we are. We're going to do our own version, only like twice as big. We're going to call it We Are the World. And they recorded that. And we're in, not, not going to tie it to a certain season or holiday. So it's not <laughs> singing in July. Do they like know it. it's Christmas? Um, so we were actually over the late night after all, though. We're kind of still talking about it. Good for us. Yeah, hey, way to go, guys. <laughs> Uh, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote the song We Are the World and it was recorded in January of 1985 it was released on March 7th of 1985 and you were talking by about by the way Michael Jackson wasn't at live he couldn't make it no and he didn't he was in no absence he didn't actually sing on the song either oh really I did not know that now you know I just told you now I know um, I think I, I heard I've heard that he's he's a little enigmatic. That's what I've heard about him. So maybe that has something to do with it. Mm, let's not talk about Michael Jackson anymore. No. Uh, the single Chaz, which of course features Bob Dylan in one of the um, last soloist performances. Uh, side note: Please, please, people that listen to this podcast, go to the internet. It's www.internet.com and go to YouTube. <laughs> And look up the uh, look up the video. It's about nine minutes long. It's um, Stevie Wonder trying to teach Bob Dylan his part for "We Are the World," and it is it's the greatest thing that's ever been recorded. Just watch that right after "Dancing the Street." Oh my gosh! And then right before the "Dancing the Street" with no music. Yeah, somewhere in there, just it'll be a sandwich. Just right watch poor poor Stevie Wonder who <laughs> just just try just. Trying to tell Bob what it is he's supposed to do for his one line of this song. It's amazing. It should win an Oscar, for sure. It probably already has. Um, Anyway. At least an Obie. (laughs) Give give that man an Obie. The song, Chaz, sold 20 million copies worldwide. Oh, yeah. It is the eighth biggest selling single of all time, continuing to this day. Now, I'm going to give you another little fun. This is actually a fun... uh, multiple choice question there are seven songs that have sold more than we are the world um throughout history and i'm going to give you let's see i wrote down five of them you're supposed to these these songs have all sold more copies than we are the world so i'm not trying to trick you here but i want you and maybe you know this already but i want you to um tell me what the best selling single of all time is Okay, it's okay, in this I'll list. Do I do not know the sound. Okay, great, great. It's so not this... like some kind of weird factoid I would know, but I don't. Right, and I didn't know if you would. So here, here it is. Five, five choices. These have all sold more than twenty million copies in the in the world. "Candle in the Wind" nineteen ninety seven by Elton John. Oh man! Right, so remember that one? The remember that. version, yeah. That's yeah, Diana it's version. not about Marilyn Monroe anymore. It's about no. Princess Di. Princess Diana. Okay. Okay, yep. this is the one that I was most surprised at. Uh, Mungo Jerry singing In the Summertime. Do you remember that song? Seriously? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I fun, like that song. Fun song. In the summer, in the city. that right? No. In the summer. No, that's, no? That's, uh, that's not the one. It's the... Uh, I can't remember what it is. Uh, no, don't, don't. No, not that one. Uh, go listen to Mungo Jerry's In the Summertime. You'll know it as soon as you hear it. But I didn't... I would have never, ever, ever guessed that it sold more than 20 million copies. Um, C, Bing Crosby's White Christmas, a Chris, oh, Christmas right. song. Uh, D, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. You remember that one? Yeah, oh yeah. 
and E, Bill Haley and his comets, rock around the clock. Okay. Okay, so which one is the, they all sold more than We Are the World. Which one sold the most? Uh, hmm. Are you Googling I'm it right go now? With, what's that? Are you Googling it right now? Oh, yeah. Don't. I'm trying to kill time. <laughs> Oh yeah, in the summertime. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, that's the one. I'm surprised that one sold twenty million. That that would. Yeah, one of the best selling right, singles. Give, give me, give me, give me the options one more time. Okay, we got "Candle in the Wind" nineteen ninety seven. Okay. We yeah. got "In the Summertime," which you just sang for us helpfully. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Bing Crosby's "White Christmas," Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You," and Bill Haley and his Comets "Rock Around the Clock." I will always love you, Whitney Houston. Oh, great choice, but it's actually Bing Crosby's "White Christmas." Okay, well. By kind of a wide margin. And he has another one. I forget what it was. Another Christmas song is in that top eight. By him. <laughs> by he, him. By him. Bing, Bing Crosby's White Christmas. And it was, I don't remember the numbers, but it was by quite a margin. Like, it'll never be, it'll wow. never be caught at this point. Wow. So there you go. By the way, In the Summertime has 87 million views on YouTube. The music video. Yeah. Good for it. It should so have eighty. It's much more popular than I ever really realized. Me too. No way would I have thought that that was sold more than twenty million copies. Anyway, um, so here, so okay, I already said Harry Belafonte, produced by Quincy Jones. It won three Grammys and it raised. Get this, Chaz. One song for which everyone uh-huh. donated their time, as we said earlier. Yeah. Uh, it raised sixty-three million dollars for hey, whoa. for charity, and we that is rate one, one of those, Jake, really quick. Yeah, okay, uh, here, uh, we are the, uh, right, gosh, I'm so stumped. You, I'll give you a little, I'm not a reasonable, you have two weeks. We are the podcast. We two are raised, the podcast. Two raised $73 million for charity. Um, it, this is we'll a... We'll only keep a million each of those <laughs> That's all. Well, That's plus, really fair. It's really fair. Plus the 10000 that everyone sends us to make that video. Well... That will just give back to charity because we'll have a million dollars of this song instead. Uh, prorated for today's rates, the song, uh, you know, if it had come out today, it would have raised $144 million. One song. Today's That's pop crazy, stars man. Just, aren't, just aren't bringing the noise, Jake. No. Just not bringing it. But I'll tell you what, today's pop stars aren't anything like this list I'm going to read you right now. All right. These are Thank the soloists right for on the song, okay? These people were okay. all in one place on one day in 1985 <laughs> to record We Are the World. Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Willie Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, Huey Lewis, Cyndi Lauper, Kim Carnes, Bob Dylan, and Ray Charles. I'm sorry, Michael Jackson was on that song. I was going to say, I thought you just said he wasn't on it. I did, I didn't, I I had some bad info. I feel like this is one of those things that kind of snowballs. That's crazy. you're like three or four people, and then they're like, what? Who's doing it? Yeah, man. Well, I think, but, uh, I think it became a thing. Popster's got to make it happen. Come on. I think who's, it became who's a thing. Who's, who's socially conscious enough to like, make it this thing, this ball rolling? Let's go here. I just don't think it would ever, it would never happen. Why not? It happened then. Why couldn't it happen now? I know, but we are the world. Is... Not, you don't need to be in the same spot at all, you know, at the same time. Were these people actually in the studio together? Yeah, on one day. And then um, I haven't even gone. You I haven't have to do that at all. Like you could just be doing recording all kinds of students across the country. It wouldn't matter. I even told you who all was in the chorus and didn't have a solo. Do you want to hear those? No, go. This is the all name drop version of this podcast. All right, here's the people that were. <laughs> these were in the chorus. These are all people standing on the risers, just belting out "We Are the World." Okay. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, good lead on that. 
uh, <laughs> Harry Belafonte, <laughs> Lindsay Buckingham, uh, Sheila E., Bob Geldof, I'm just skipping the names that I don't know, Jackie Jackson, yeah. LaToya Jackson, Marlon Jackson, Randy Jackson, Tito Jackson, lots you of Jackson. The Jackson five and say, well, Randy Jackson's not actually a Jackson brother or sister, so I had to say oh. him in there. <laughs> Uh, Waylon Jennings, Bette Midler, John Oates. I bet he was so pissed that Hall got a solo. Oh, man, I bet he was pissed. <laughs> uh, the Pointer Sisters and Smokey Robinson. They were all Dang. They were all just standing there watching everybody sing this song. Okay, so that happened. Whew! Um, next up for Bob Dylan uh, is his very, very, very bad album called Empire Burlesque. Woo, I heard of that one. Yeah, so personal anecdote, I only have Empire Burlesque on vinyl. I do not uh-huh. own a copy that I can actually listen to without like actually putting it on and making everyone listen to it in my house. So that we all listened to that this morning. It's really bad. It's really one uh-huh. of it's one of his worst albums. I apologize yeah. to everybody. Um, at the time, it was meant to be a strong work following Infidels, which was his last studio album in 1983. <laughs> And at the time, people and critics thought that this, if he put out a good album here, Jazz, that it would rival his 70s resurgence. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so consider, <laughs> so spoiler alert, that didn't happen. Um, but also 10 years earlier was when, uh, was when he really did resurge. Like just a, just a scant 10 years earlier, he was, right. he was on top of the world, but he, he's not on top of the world, at least, at least critically. Um, he started recording in 1984 with Al Green's uh, R&B band, but oh yeah, but get this—they couldn't keep up with Bob's, you know, musings and um, his idiosyncrasies. "Quote: Every time he started off a new song, he'd start in a new key. Or if we were doing the same song, every time it would be in a different key. The band was totally confused, and one by one, they left the studio." <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, get this: in a different session, he recorded amazing versions of a song that would go eventually go on the album, but he didn't use the amazing version. Well, naturally, he's, right. he's Bob Dylan. Uh, he also left off a song called "New Danville Girl," which uh, became "Brownsville Girl" on "Knocked Out Loaded," the only good song on "Knocked Out Loaded." But there was an earlier version that was very good. But he, of course, left that off of "Empire Burlesque" as well. Here's what his biographer said. Um, this is a quote, and I thought it was this pretty much sums everything up during this time period. There seemed to be a deliberate perversity to Dylan's decisions about what songs <laughs> to leave on the album. <laughs> a deliberate perversity. Uh-huh. So I, you want to think like he was doing this on purpose, but I know I, I know that he wasn't. It's. It's a little, it's a little Trumpian, if I may say. It's like, did he? Uh-huh. Is he a mastermind? No, he's not. He's just saying and doing things. Um, <laughs> some of the songs, uh, quote, had a disco funk feel. Some of them had '80s style whomping drums and s- glistening synths, which I'll attest. No glistening synths. I'll attest. Oh, so glistening. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're out there. They're getting a tan. They're they, glistening. They put on some baby oil. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And just glistening. They're just, they're glistening. <laughs> I'll say those glistening scents were the sexiest thing about Bob Dylan in 1985. Because the rest of it was not working. Um, can you please, 
Can you please oh, Google? Bob. Can you please Google the back cover of Empire Dur- Burlesque? Long Just do that for me for a second. Okay. Um, Bob Dylan wanted to be. He wanted to be contemporary, so he was kind of chasing trends, or at least a sound. He was going into these big studios and, and letting studio musicians come in and kind of tinker with things, and he had engineers and producers that were just <laughs> slicking it up. You've shown me this cover before. <laughs> well, you showed me this back cover before. It's oh, one of your ones you just like to try that for <laughs> It's like, hey, Chaz. <laughs> hey, look at this. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, it's it? good. He's, he looks like he's stoned. His eyes are closed. His eyes are closed. And there's a girl like standing a there. Shot. And you can you can tell the girl is kind of like, what? What's go- what are you doing right now? Kind of. <laughs> um, it definitely... Uh, can this, we point out, Jake, yeah. that uh, in preparation for this podcast, we shared some photos with one another. Mm-hmm. And realized that the jacket that Bob Dylan is wearing on the cover yeah, the, of Empire Burlesque... The suit coat? Is Almost identical yeah. to the one that Bowie wears in the Loving the Alien music video. Yeah, almost exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's like, like a gray patterned shoulder pads. Yeah, gray patterned, silky, silky kind of a thing. That it's just like the two of them. They're almost identical. It's really impressive. It's like when so the, nice work, nice work, Chance. It's it's like when future generations dig up that cult, they'll just scream 1985 to themselves because they'll know. We all know. Nineteen eighty. Um, Bob Dylan actually did a flurry of interviews and TV appearances uh, quite a ways after the album came out. That's kind of a thing he does too. Like he doesn't do it in the the lead up to the album, like everyone else. He's. I think what he thinks. I think what he thinks is he'll put out an album and it'll be a, it'll be a hit. It'll sell a lot of copies, and he won't have to do all the rounds, you know, the interview. Oh, sure. So, so but it comes out movie. and it, and it peaks at number 33, um, like Empire Burlesque did. And then he's like, Oh, uh-huh. I better get out there and sell this thing. <laughs> and then he gets out there, but it's too late. Nobody cares that the cycle had already completed, you know, mm-hmm. he just yeah. wasn't really with it. And during this period, um, he had three, three singles, um, with accompanying music videos actually for all of them, I think. Yeah. Uh, tight connection to my heart. <laughs> Ampersand, has anyone seen my baby? No, has anyone seen my love? Just two. You don't need to, you don't need to call that all of that. <laughs> Here's some retroactive advice. Why don't you shorten that up a little bit? Uh, this, this peaked at number 103 in the U.S., Chaz. Big hit. Oh, hot. Hot. <laughs> Big hit. Uh, that had a that that had a video um, that Paul Schrader directed where they went to Tokyo for no reason but other than just to film this video. Yeah, nothing happens. It's just like a bunch of shots of Bob Dylan singing in Tokyo. Okay, uh, next one is <laughs> these names are so bad. Emotionally yours. Emotionally, Emotionally yours. yours. <laughs> it's so uh. cheesy. Other guys uh, might just be here physically, but I'm here emotionally too. You know what? And the song itself is like, um, I don't remember exactly what the chorus is, but it's like, I'll always be emotionally yours, which I think suggests that he doesn't want to actually be with her. He just, he's just like, <laughs> hey, I might not, I might not be with uh, you. We might. have <laughs> been on the road for 112 shows yeah. this year. I'll still be emotionally you know, yours. Even if we we never see each other again, I'll always be Which emotionally yours. Which is a distinct yours. possibility. I'm not claiming that, but it might, maybe, yeah. 
All right, and then his, be emotionally yours. his last, yeah, hey, promise, baby, I promise. I promise, I'll always promise. be emotionally yours. Don't call me, I promise. <laughs> Even if I'm another lady, I'm still going to be emotionally <laughs> yours. Oh, yeah, he had moved on to another backup singer this year as well. Oh, um, uh, let's not get into all I that know, I, business. I, I know, and I don't want to slander the actual ladies because they're they're people, but it's, uh, yeah. it's Carol, Carol Childs, I believe, is the new backup singer. Uh... The third single is When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky. Now, I'll just tell you that Bob's idea about the the last two songs, Emotionally Yours and When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky, he shot two separate black and white videos, um, both... Uh, one of <laughs> that means they're deep and mature and emotional. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, emotionally yours was directed by David Dave Stewart, who is one half of the Arrhythmics, who we've already talked oh, about. Oh yeah, they yeah, had a they had kind of a weird they had kind of a weird yeah you got the way yeah, better Annie you got the way better half. <laughs> you tried so, right, I did. Yeah, in the divorce you got Annie Lennox, you <laughs> son Annie of a gun. <laughs> I got Dave Stewart in his perm. <laughs> <laughs> that perm is impressive. That firm is a real humdinger. <laughs> we keep the perm on a shelf, like in a glass case. <laughs> Only bring it out for special occasions. Absolutely. Hey guys, here's Dave Stewart's perm. <laughs> and uh, on Christmas, we get out his mullet as well. It's crazy. <laughs> um, oh, All right, so right now. We'll probably. You know what I. I, I generally I, I hate to make fun of him like I love the Arrhythmics and Dave Stewart oh, yeah. did all the music for that I mean obviously you know what the Arrhythmics have got going for them Glistening Annie, Sense Annie Lennox <laughs> oh no um, Glistening Sense Glistening so they got a lot of that good good synth programmer that Dave Stewart uh-huh. Glistening um, and then the other half for When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky of this epic video journey um, is is by Eddie Arno and Marcus Something or other, I didn't write it down very well. Innocenti, Innocenti. Anyway, Bob's big idea was that these two videos would be connected. So one would be about a woman who he's left and who is emotionally yours. And then he meets another woman in the second video who's the real woman, you know, the real good one. And, and her, and I guess, you know, she, get, she gets treated to a Bob Dylan cheesy love song called When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky. <laughs> Which I, I would just say no. I'd be like, no, sir. Thank you. Do not touch me. But, I mean, that's just me. Um, anyway, one was supposed to begin when the other ended, but, of course, MTV wasn't going to play them back-to-back or anything, so it didn't really... Because <laughs> they're both terrible. So. They're both terrible, but I guess they... play one as a model and both of them in a row. I can't imagine... I can't imagine that this happened, but I read it in several places. Like, I guess these were in semi-heavy rotation on MTV, these videos. Okay. So, that's 1985 for you. They didn't have as much material in '85. No, it was it was just getting it was just getting big. They, I mean, the thing about Bob in '85 is he was as respected as ever. It's just like this is a bad this is just a bad time for him. He's he's just a bad time. it's just a bad time. He stinks. It's bad. So I'll talk a little bit more about Empire Burlesque in the points section. Um, but we have one more thing to talk about, Chaz, before we get to that. And that's that Bob Dylan, you know, obviously he wasn't trying to do this, and obviously it has more to do with, like, his manager and with his record label and stuff like that. But Bob Dylan invented the Super Deluxe Edition box set in 1985. In 1985 he did one? Yes. He did one called Biograph. This was a a five-LP box set 
Um, it's a motley collection of hits, and um, the sweetener was he released 12 unreleased outtakes and gems um, throughout his career. So it was, it was career-spanning. But then what makes it the, the sort of uh, box set that we know and love today, those really expensive ones that I'm always buying yeah. from Bob Dylan. <laughs> yes, thank you. He hasn't stopped making them. Um, is there was a very it was a very lavish it was LP sized it had great pictures in it it had a 33 no what was the page number 32 pages no 32 page book by Cameron Crowe who was a Rolling Stone uh, you know him he was Cameron he was a Rolling Stone yeah. Yeah. writer who ended up uh, being a acclaimed movie director yeah he's done lots of stuff yeah but lots of stuff uh, anyway yeah, yeah. so much stuff he wrote a book which he actually interviewed Bob Dylan and he put this thing together and there was all these like glossy pictures and all that stuff in there. And his, his box set debuted at the exact same chart position as his actual album did. Number, <laughs> number 33. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, thanks Bob. Do you have this bad boy, Jing? Um, not yet. I'm looking, I'm looking for the perfect copy. I want it to be nice. Cause you can get a CD version for like $13. Okay. But I'm, I'm not going to do that. I want the actual, no. I want the actual LP version. You want to appreciate it, yeah. Yeah, okay. and it, it's gonna it's gonna set me back like fifty or sixty bucks. So I gotta save okay. up. I gotta save up. Yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. all right. So with that deluxe box set discussion, Chaz, I'm gonna pass it on over to you for your your scant points. But I can't wait to hear about well, I'm it. Even, I'm not even at points yet. I got a little more to talk about. Oh. Just a little, just a tad. I'm sorry. Well, let me let. Why don't you go do that then? I will. All right. Why don't you do that? So Bobby did not do very much besides Live Aid in 1985, as far as you know. Right. Actually, what he spent most of his year doing was uh, doing his, the, he was in the studio, like Labyrinth took, you know, two or three months to shoot. It came out in 86. Oh, right. So he was doing that, and he was also doing uh, um, Absolute Beginners, which came out in 1986. And he did notable songs, you know, like he, Recorded basically an album's worth of material in 1985 for albums or for movies that came out in 1986. Dang. Okay. So that was what he was doing a lot of the year. He just didn't see it in 1985. Like if, if he just done the music, if the turnaround would have been fast enough to come out in 85, but it had to come out with the movies. So it wasn't until 86. So he he only had two live performances of any kind in 1985. One of them was Live Aid, where he performed four songs, well, six songs total. Mm-hmm. Um, he also came on stage for two performances with uh, Tina Turner. Oh, his old pal Tina Turner. Of course. I think we talked about it in various uh, other podcasts. But Bowie is pretty much responsible for Tina Turner's 1980s comeback. Right. Um, he like pressured in his own his own uh, record label into giving her a shot, and then of course she became a gigantic mammoth, you know, thing. Uh, but they were good pals. They hung out together. They were in a Pepsi commercial together later on. Amazing. Um, I like to know that that Tina Turner during nineteen that in the eighties when she was at you know like this humongous uh, sex icon was pushing fifty. Yeah. So go her. She's she was hot. Course. She was a real. She was hot. She was. She was a real oh, glistening yeah. synth. That Tina Turner. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, anyway, he did a couple encores with her. I think I didn't read it down. I thought it was two times. Maybe it was only one. I think it's two times. Um, he came on stage and did they did the song tonight from Bowie's album tonight. Tonight. Which, on the album, Tina Turner does backing vocals. So they did that song together at Tina Turner's concert, and then they also did a little song by the name of Let's Dance. But they started out by doing the uh, older version, the Let's Dance, Let's Dance, which I didn't write who did that song originally, but that, you know, like 50s song. Oh, right. And then uh, had it seg into Bowie's 1983 monster hit. It's real Let's clever. Dance. Real clever. But it was pretty good. It's a pretty good version. Okay. All right. Sure. That's it. 
Um, they released, uh, I think Turner Turner released this, uh, like this live performance in 88, I want to say, with Bowie's, his appearance at the end, intact on a live video. So, good for them. Way to go, guys. In other news, Bowie was in a movie in 1985. He had a cameo in the movie Into the Night, Into which the is night. a madcap comedy of some kind that's supposed to be really bad, uh, starring Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Bowie plays a hitman. He's in it for like six minutes. I only watched the parts he was in, so I do not know much about the movie. I just know the movie's supposed to be really bad. All right. But Bowie was kind of okay. Fair. So, uh, <laughs> and finally, you're in hair. Jake, uh, let me check my notes on this. Yeah. <clears throat> I got down uh, blow dried within an inch of its life. Okay. <laughs> That's what you got. Especially during a live aid. That sounds accurate. It was it was uh, fluffy. <laughs> it was it was something. It was something real fluffy. I'm gonna give that bad boy uh, two. Yeah, two. yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I thought. You're, you're in here. Sure, you're in here. Hey, 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 right. everybody. Thanks. In this little spirit, I'm gonna move right into my points here, just because. Just move not? it in there. Just move right. Get in it here. on in there. So, boy does not have very many points. He's got three singles for 1985. So his. Previous album to 1985, Tonight, came out in late 84, September of 84 or sometime there. Um, so there was still a single left of that. He had another non-album single. So the first single of 1985 was a song called This Is Not America, which he actually played mm. with the Pat Metheny group. Oh, yeah, the jazz who are, guy. you know, pretty cool, actually. I don't know a lot of their stuff except for the stuff they did with Steve Reich. They're very, uh, they're very jazzy. They're very, very jazzy. jazzy, yes, they are. And so this song isn't that jazzy. I don't know how this all came about and everything, but it's kind of a cool song. Yeah, called This Is Not America. It's for this uh, movie called The Falcon and the Snowman, which apparently is a political thriller of some kind. Sure but is. not in in any way. Too bad. Uh, the music video is just clips from the movie, which is kind of boring, but that's okay. But I kind of like the song. I, I, I think it's a solid song. I like it. It's got a good uh, cover, too. It's kind of just an abstract photo, but I like it. Okay. Doing that guy at .5, Jake. Sure. Do it. Uh, next up is a single, the last single from 1984's Tonight. Oh, good. It's called Loving the Alien. Uh-huh. The song is originally seven minutes long. The album version is seven minutes long. They cut it down for the uh, single version, obviously. Uh, it's a, like, the song sounds kind of crazy. You say Loving the Alien. Boy, you so much space stuff. You just assume it's actually aliens. But he's not. He's using the term alien in terms of, like, weird. Yeah. And it's a very uh, kind of scathing. His, his personal view is on... Uh, organized religion and so it's pretty negative towards organized religion okay um and so it's that loving the alien is not talking about an outer space alien but the strange the weird the outrageous um it's got a really pretty cool video um with an amazing set it's got tons of religious iconography i read down an amazing set based on the work of proto-surrealist painter Giorgio de Kirko, sure. who is somebody I'm actually familiar with oh. and uh so i just feel like i used to be an art teacher those of you guys in the I feel like I'm, I'm going to like toot my own horn here for just just a second because stuff I was reading about it said it was talking I'm talking about how it was similar to MC Escher and it really isn't it's really starting to have to wow so I'm right everyone else is wrong wow yeah. what a nerd anyway the song great. is okay but not great I feel like it, it, it's just so it's so 80s and it has a lot of potential but doesn't I don't feel like it lives up to it but it's not horrible I'm giving that one zero okay and his final single from 1985, a little song. I don't know if you've heard of it, Jake. Dancing in the Street. <laughs> I never have, but I'll check it out. Uh, 
when I first discovered the song some years ago, I described it to my pal Warren, who loves stuff that's so bad it's good. Yeah. As uh, I was very excited because I felt like I'd finally discovered uh, David Bowie and Mick Jagger's simultaneous career low point. <laughs> and I still stand by that. I'm you might not be right. anything worse. You might be right. Um, it's one of Bowie's worst moments ever. <laughs> uh-huh. And especially being where it is and like right in the middle of his career, you know, it's not like the laughing gnome or something where he was still young and like figuring stuff out. Like that's a career low point for sure. But he knew better by now. He knew better. Yeah. He did it anyway. Yeah. Mick Jagger was even more desperate than Bowie at the time. Oh yeah. And Bowie had some recent giant hits and Jagger really hadn't. Although he had his album before that. Anyway, it's awful. Um, We, you know, we work on a, on a point system for singles of negative one to one potential of negative one up to one. Um, very, very rarely we offer a double <laughs> pointer. What's going on here? One, I feel like this would be one where it would be worth a negative two. Oh my but, but Jagger gets half of that. Half of that's on Jagger. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I'm giving it a negative one as it turns around to. So he ends the year, and <laughs> oh, it sounds man. like he's probably going to win anyway, but he ends the year with a negative .5. Oh, he's going to win by a landslide. This is terrible. Dylan notably, is terrible. This is their notably, I think, believe this is the first year where both of them end in the negative. Is it really? I don't think we have another year where they both end in the negative, but I could be wrong. Oh, man. Well, this is a sad state of affairs. Chaz, I, I don't remember what my worst year was, but I know that I could. Pro- I should have probably looked, but it looks like, uh, you know, the uh, the Traveling Wilburys sort of, like, ruined the absolute perverse badness of oh, 1990. Actually, but this is this this might be just as bad. I, mean, I didn't realize that. I didn't write well, that actually, you know what? You know what? It's not going to be because he released uh, Biograph, which gets points. Yeah. Because it's the world's first Super Deluxe box set edition. Yeah. Um, okay, so... All right, so where do we start, Chaz? Hey, how about we start with the tour? <laughs> we usually start with the never-ending tour, but that didn't exist in 1985. Feel, uh, free, to, yeah. feel free to check your notes if you need to. Wasn't okay. yet born. Not yet born. Um, he was an absolute disaster at Live Aid in kind of, a, in kind of an important spot in the thing. So yeah. that would get a negative one from me, except that he then accidentally created Farm Aid and then went and performed at it and I guess he was Good awesome. One. So that would get a plus one. So his tour his touring is gonna end at a plus zero. A zero. Okay. Okay. Alright. Um let's do some Empire Burlesque here. I just wanna you know, usually I would do a bad eighties uh Bob Dylan album matrix, but I was too it was like too depressing to even listen to. It just it stinks. <laughs> So I'm gonna give you some I'm gonna give you some words that I thought of and some thoughts that I thought of while I was listening to it this morning. Okay, yeah. Oh, and on. also I've almost never ever listened to this album because it's on record and you don't yeah. ch- you don't choose to put on Empire Burlesque. Um, so <laughs> it I was you. I it calls to me from the shelf. I tell you that <laughs> it's like come aboard the yacht, Jake. Come aboard the yacht. Get on the yacht. Uh, he is at his yachtiest. All right, so here's some things. It's cheesy, it's synthy, it's yachty, it's overly long and, like, quote, jammy in a weird way. Um, it's, it's white bluesy, it's eurythmics without any Lennox-y, it's nasally, it's gospel singery, it's obnoxious-y, it's incessant, and there is one good song on it at the very end, Chaz. Only one. Yes. And it's so unmitigatingly bad the whole time that I was thinking, like, this is his worst album. I made a mistake. I made a grave mistake 
saying that Under the Red Sky was his worst album because this is it. But then all of a sudden, after all this like synthy, gooey, driving, like disco pop, all this junk that goes on, um, all of a sudden you hear like this gentle and very like expertly played classical guitar, and he sings this beautiful song at the very end of the album called Dark Eyes which is a Dylan classic, and as soon as it started, I was like, oh, that's Dark Eyes, because I've heard it on various you know, tribute albums, and people cover yeah. it all over the place. And it's amazing. It's like, what, are you, what is happening? I was so confused. And so for all of that, you know, for all of that, I give it a negative four as an album. Oh, wow. I think I would have given it wow. a negative five if Dark Eyes was not. A perfect negative five. We've never come close to that. Well, I, get, I think I I've gave done, him... I've done Bowie's worst album, and it's not a negative five. I know, but you you and I have different ideas about this. But that's, for, that's, for, diff- that's for a different time. Um, okay, so I'm going to give a negative four, because it's awful, and I'll never listen to it except for that last song. Um, okay, let's do some singles. Tight Connection to My Heart. You did a bad song, Bob. That's negative one. <laughs> Emotionally Yours is syrupy, slow... Yeah, bad job, Emotionally Yours is syrupy, slow, and sucky. You did a bad job, Bob. That's negative one. <laughs> and When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky, I don't even remember what it sounds like, but you did a bad job, Bob. That's negative one for that as well. Get out of here. Wow. I hate all these songs. They're so bad. Okay. Wow. Uh, oh, and also, <laughs> When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky is this real like kind of thumper, you know? It's clearly mm-hmm. like... A banger. Uh, it's it's trying to be a banger. It's definitely Eurythmics without Annie Lennox kind of a thing. Uh. <laughs> um, oh, it's it's awful. All right. Um, okay. Does Bob get points for We Are the World, or is that just everyone? Probably, probably didn't have a big enough involvement. I guess not. Kind of my feeling, yeah. You know what? I'm just going to give him a plus point five because Bob's going to. All right. What, whatever. It doesn't. Matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. And then for for Biograph. Um, you know the music. It's it seems obvious now to like have like a greatest hits collection and just like throw in, throw in some um, some outtakes and stuff. It was revolutionary at the time. So and it also qualifies. It qualifies for our um, aesthetic point system. Oh yeah, is it a nice one? So oh yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Real soft. You know, LP sized box sets are amazing looking. It almost doesn't matter yeah. what it is. I don't think I have any LP sized box sets. I'll be honest. No, I got one. It's full of LPs. I remember. You guys, <laughs> great. Go check. Go check, go check on that. <laughs> I don't buy a lot of LP. I don't buy a lot of records. I no, no. I don't, I don't I, buy a lot. It's not my preferred format. I understand. I understand. I I'm starting to get a little a little bit of a an itch to just like go vinyl. Not totally, obviously. Yeah. But anyway, so Biograph for all of that gets a plus three point zero out of a possible plus four. Um, so I didn't actually add up my points, but it's going to be way negative. Let's see. His his output of new material that year would get him a negative seven. But he released Biograph. Now, forget the We Are the World thing. Who cares about that? Um, the Biograph is a plus three, so he's going to have a negative four for this year. That's significant. Significantly crappy, and he deserves every negative. Significantly crappy, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, you know, I, the last thing I'll say about it is as I was listening to the album today, I was just like, this is so incongruent with Bob Dylan as a, mm-hmm. as an artist and like what you think about him and what, and what I love about Bob Dylan. It was like surreal almost. It was, it's just a bad, it's just bad. 
not good, man. You made a bad job. You made a bad album, Bob. You made a bad album. That's it. Period. End of story. Uh, All right. Well, there we go. So how did Live Aid... What was that? Our live coverage of Live Aid end up at after only 14 hours of Mm. nonstop... Working. We raised at least fifty cents for charity during 50 this. Fifty cents for 50 charity. Cents. All right, for the end here, Chaz. I mean, a lot of that's gonna have to go towards the stamp. So, Ooh, mm, you're, you're right. Mm. You know, I've I've I have some forever stamps from 1985, so we're saving on that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, do you remember how um, do they know do they know it's Christmas goes? Can you sing that? I don't think I can off the top of my head. It's one of those songs okay. I've heard a lot of times, but I can never like just drum it up. You know. All right, so you're gonna sing. Dancing in the street, and I'm going to sing "We Are the World" <laughs> at the same time, hey, simultaneously. Before we do that, let's give people, the people a little bit of good news. At least, uh, at least the Bowie fans, not the Dylan fans, probably. Oh, boo. But our uh, next episode, we're doing uh, 1979. Oh yeah, it's good, it's good news for Bowie fans. It's yeah, good news for Bowie. it's uh, you know, it depends on what you think about Bob's conversion to Christianity in 1979. That's true. That's true. You know, could be good, could be not so good. We are the world. We are the children. Don't make a better place to well for you and him. We are the world. We are the people. And when you building them something, open up your wallets. Give us some money and give it to the children of Africa.